This week's episode of the Productivities Podcast is brought to you by Transpose. You're looking to start off the new year with a new app that's going to be able to help you be more productive? Give Transpose a try. Head over to transpose.com and check it out. I'll have more about Transpose during the podcast, but for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Productivities Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy, and I am really excited to bring to you the first episode of the show of 2016. And there's a lot to take out of this episode. It's with author Cal Newport. He's the author of So Good, They Can't Ignore You, as well as the new book, which I've just gotten through, and it's amazing. Deep work. Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. We talk about the idea of deep work versus shallow work. There's a lot that we get into and I've always loved Cal's work and his writing and I, I'm so happy to be able to share this with you as the first episode of 2016 and the last episode that we'll be doing on Friday which I'll get to after you listen to the interview as well as some of the other things that, that I want to touch on related to deep work and how this book uh, the ideas in this book, which are not necessarily new to me, have definitely presented something new for me to work on in the months ahead. So this is a great way to start off your year. I highly encourage you to listen to it. You've got the day. It's it's January 1st. I, I would imagine that most of you are not necessarily working today. Take the time to listen to this episode. Here it is, Cal Newport and myself having a, a great discussion here on the Productivityist Podcast. Cal Newport is with me. He is the author of the new book, Deep Work. What's the subtitle of the book, Cal? Because I don't have it in front of me. I have like this really, really special copy that I can't even share with anybody right as I'm doing <laughs> yeah, the, this. The illegal copy that, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that no one's supposed to know about. Uh, it's, it's rules for, for focused success in a distracted world. So this is a pretty, I'd say you're on the right podcast for this. I think that the, the Productivities Podcast, I think the, the audience here is probably going to get a lot out of this, especially considering the day that this has been released. Like it's it's the start of a new calendar year. So uh, what what better resolution to have than to say, I'm going to focus on deep work. And you've been focusing on this topic for quite a, quite a long time. I mean, I'm looking back in the archives and I've been following your work for a while. You know, I've hung out before. We were at the World Domination Summit, what, 2013, I think? Is when you were at? It was even before than I think. Was it 20? Yeah. I know we've been talking before that, but I think we actually finally got to meet in Portland. Yep. Uh, and then uh, as we're, we're just before we started recording, uh, we're planning when I'm going to be in D.C. to get together as well because that's where you're based. But this this topic has been going on for a while. And if you look at – if you just Google Cal Newport and Deep Work, one of the first things that shows up is – a blog post from like 2012, some notes on deep working. Can you dive into that a little bit and explain to people what deep work means to you? Yeah, so I define deep work to be when you're focusing without distraction on a cognitively demanding task. So when you're giving something your your full intense focus for a long period of time without distraction, that's deep work. And uh, essentially the argument I'm making, the motivating argument for all of this, is that there's two things happening right now. One is deep work is becoming increasingly valuable in our current economy. Uh, the, the ability to do deep work is going to, to be increasingly valuable. At the same time, it's becoming increasingly rare. Fewer and fewer people are actually able to do it very well, and more and more of the trends in professional life are away from 
schedules and habits to support deep work. And when I see those two things, it occurred to me that this is a classic economic mismatch, a skill that's becoming more valuable at the same time that it's becoming more rare, which tells you that if you're one of the few to cultivate it, you can really thrive. Now, how does this relate? Your last work so good they, they, they can't ignore you, which uh, a phenomenal read. If you haven't read it yet, everybody pick this up along with, I'm sure if you go to Amazon to pre-order Deep Work, that you know, the little package that they give you at the bottom, people who ordered this also ordered this or order these two together. You're going to want to get his, your, your, your book uh, so good they can't ignore you. How does this tie into, because when I was reading the book, there's a lot of stuff that kind of ties, it, it harkened me back to that, to, to that book. What can you say? Like, this seems like an evolution of what you were doing before, like in terms of a little bit diving into one aspect of it. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it's a natural progression, I would say. Uh, The last book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, was asking this question, how do people end up building working lives that they're passionate about? And it pushed back on the common idea that we all come hardwired with a pre-existing passion that we have to identify and then use it to select our job. And it said, no, if you actually study the research, if you actually study people who love their, their work, for the most part, it's actually flipped. They, they get really good at something and the passion follows. So therefore, if you want to build a working life you love, your first step is going to very rapidly become very good at things. So I put this idea out there and, and, and people resonated with this notion that follow your passion was too simplistic. But then the, the natural, completely reasonable follow-up question was, okay, well, if I believe you, how do I do this? How do I rapidly get better at things? How do I produce things of real value? The type of thing that's going to allow me to develop and cultivate passion for my work. And the answer to that is deep work. So in some sense, uh, this book is the the how to follow up to, to that book before. It, it tells you how this is the skill that allows you to, to create things of real value, to create a working life that you feel really passionate about. It's the how to of how to actually do that. So the brain's pretty complicated. And it likes to be pulled away into different directions, especially considering the age we of distraction that we kind of live in. What's one of the first kind of, I mean, people, people already know this stuff in, in a manner of speaking. They know they're getting pulled away from the deeper work, but they feel that they can't do anything about it. What's one thing that, I mean, just without giving too much away, what's one thing that they could do that's maybe, maybe even simple and just something small that they can do to start to recognize that they that they can carve out or, or, or that they can start to carve out this, this, this time that they need so they can have the focus they need to do the deep work. What's one like thing that they could start to do just now? Quit Facebook. <laughs> now that, that sounds simple, right? And it really, I mean, if you're willing to let it go, how were you ever on Facebook at all? I don't think you were. I've never been on Facebook. No. Okay. So, what about the argument that, well, but it's how I connect with my family members that are across the miles, or it's how I do that, or it's how I do business. Some people are like, well, I'm building a business and Facebook's a great brand. What is the argument? What, what do you say to people who have that argument against against leaving Facebook behind? Well, that's a, the specific point about quitting Facebook, I think, hits a larger philosophic point, which is uh, if you really want to make your ability to focus your ability to work without distraction, a, a primary goal of your professional life, something that you really center your life on. Uh, there's things you can do that helps indicate to yourself that you're taking that seriously. And so when I, when I advise that more people should quit Facebook, not everyone, but that more people should quit Facebook, it's not necessarily that that will suddenly free up so much time that you'll, you'll have open schedule and be able to do deep work without any problem. Uh, it's more about recognizing that these services have been 
cleverly marketed by these companies in California to make us feel that they're somehow at the core of, of our modern culture and society. But the reality is they just operate in an attention economy. They have very high-priced psychologists who work on making these as distracting as possible, uh, developing these applications to, to grab our attention and to distract us as much as possible. So it seems to me uh, if, if you want to prioritize focus and the ability to concentrate in your life, Stepping away from this attention economy, this economy where we have people being paid tons of money to figure out how to distract you, psychologically speaking, uh, is a step in the right direction. It's not unlike once you decide that you're going to take maybe running seriously as a hobby, quitting smoking. I see it in, in a, a similar sort of analogy. The, these services have been marketed as the, the this is the key to modern society. The reality is it's an ad selling business and the, the whole uh, industry is built upon grabbing your attention. One of the things that I was going to touch on is, and I think I talked about this with uh, when Clay Johnson, this is on one of my older podcasts, when we talked about the information diet, is this idea of, of you know, so much information coming at us all the time, and that, that pulls our attention away. Do you have a smartphone? I do have a smartphone, though it was somewhat reluctantly foisted on me. <laughs> and I think, yeah, in the beginning of the book, you mention it, I think, right? Didn't you say like it was kind of, I think you've mentioned it to me before. I mean, it wasn't it, the beginning it was, of the it was the beginning of the book. Yeah, it was, yeah. The, it was the, uh, the birth of my, my, first, my first son. Right. My wife said, you, you have to have a phone that works. <laughs> you have to have a phone that I like. The, the text messages will show up and I can send you photos. And, and she forced me to get one before, before he was born. So you're not an Instagram dad. We're going to assume that right from the get-go. I'm not, yeah, I've never, had a, I've never had a social media account. So I'm not an Instagram, but I do get – my wife does text message me pictures of our boys, which I do appreciate. So – I have a feeling I know the answer to this, or at least part of it, but when you got that smartphone, what was the first thing that you did with it? Well, when I first got it, well... Because, I mean, it comes preloaded with what it wants you to do, right? Yeah, I guess, I guess it does. But I'll, I'll tell you, a smartphone is a different experience if you don't have, uh, if you don't have those social media applications on the smartphone... It's a completely different type of appliance in your life. Right. You know, all this sort of these push notifications, look at this, here's something, the ability to just hit a button. I'm, I'm, you know, the, the engineers of these services are great at the experience of the app for something like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. You just press this button and there's something interesting about you right away. And it's a, they, they minimize the movements of your finger necessary to see something more. Continual scrolling, this notion that you could keep scrolling and it just loads automatically. That was invented by attention engineers to, to get rid of friction points so that you would keep paying attention. Uh, if you don't have those apps on the phone, uh, it basically acts a lot like an old phone except for it has a map on it, which is useful and it's a little bit larger. The other thing I noticed about, and this is something I've, I've done with my smartphone, is that, um, and I have an iPhone, is... The default used to be uh, take accept push notifications. That's generally people normally hit the okay, right? You know, okay, I, no matter what app it is, Game yep. Center, yep. Uh, even even the task management apps, even anything like that, it wants you to accept it. And in fact, some of them don't even ask you. You just have to go in and and, and turn it off. Um, the phone is not designed for you. It's designed for you know, the, the company to get you to kind of, I mean, Apple would love you to know how that phone works inside and out. You know, that's what they want you to, to do because that way you can, you'll, you'll get the most out of it. But I think that what you're saying is, is not just for social media, but, you know, kind of understand what the tool is and don't become, what was it? Was it Thoreau that said the the tool, the man becomes the tool of his tools or something like that? Was some quote like that, where, yeah. where I think it's, it's critical that if you're going to do deep work, if you want to do deep focused work, 
you need to mitigate the distractions that you you know that that you brought into your own life yourself, and a smartphone's definitely one of those. Yeah, I think that I think that's definitely true. Um, you know, I, I think one of the issues that's gone on in our culture with this discussion is that uh, for too long, there's probably been a focus on the distraction end of it. And the conversation about, and I'm, I'm, I'm of course, playing into this somewhat with my somewhat facetious call that you should all quit Facebook. <laughs> I'm, 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 being, I'm being a little facetious with this. I think just having some fun with Mike here. But uh, the conversation, uh, when it focuses on are distractions good or bad, can often be a, a, a counterproductive conversation because it's a hazy question, right? Um, I mean, there's people like me who don't use these things, but all these things are catching our attention. It's, well, there's good about it and there's bad. I mean, you shouldn't use it too much. These conversations don't go anywhere. And what I'm trying to do with deep work is flip the conversation and say, forget distractions for now. Um, let's better understand its opposite. So, so let's better understand what happens when you're operating in a state of non-distraction. And I think we've gotten away from understanding just how valuable uh, the ability to focus intensely has become. It's valuable really in, in, in three different ways. One, uh, the ability to really focus without distraction is absolutely at the core of learning complicated things. So if you want to pick up a new skill, a new system, understanding a new type of mathematics or a new philosophy or a new computer system, uh, you need to be in a state of deep work. If you're not giving it focused attention, we know from both psychology and neuroscience that you're really going to pick up that skill very slowly. Uh, we also know that when you're in a state of really undistracted concentration, especially if you can go for a long time without distraction, your rate of production skyrockets. So I, I tell a lot of stories in the books about people, including examples from my own life, where by cultivating a deep work habit, the actual amount of stuff you produce per week can really, really go up as compared to someone who has more distractions. And then there's this quality feature. Uh, when you're frequently seeing things that are distracted, you know, check your email, work for 20 minutes, check your phone, work for another 10 minutes, uh, you're basically working with a cognitive handicap. You're mm. working at a, a fraction of your cognitive capacity. So the value of what you're producing, the quality of your, your writing, the sharpness of your thinking about your business plan uh, is, is greatly reduced. It's like hiring a professional athlete and then making them wear weighted shoes on the court. Right? We're, we're all operating at some fraction of our maximum capacity. So really what I'm trying to do with this is, is say, you know, uh, you know, distractions, I don't know. There's value. People maybe have some use for Facebook that's useful. You, Twitter allows you. Well, I don't care about that so much as uh, let's think about what do you get when you have non-distracted time. I think it's way more valuable than people realize. So I'm trying to make this point. You know, Eric Barker called deep work uh, the superpower of the 21st century economy. And I think that's a very apt description. If you cultivate this ability – which is really two things, training yourself to focus, you know, it's a skill, not a habit. And then the stuff that you talk about a lot in the show, which is actually creating schedules and habits to give you time to focus. Um, it really is going to be like you have a superpower in this economy. I mean, your, your success professionally can skyrocket. And incidentally, deep work turns out to be a lot more fulfilling, a lot more personally fulfilling and meaningful than the more distracted stuff that we spend time doing. We're going to take a break from the podcast now to talk about this week's sponsor, Transpose, your solutions, your way. Now, this is the time of year where people are diving into new apps and or maybe leaving old apps behind that don't really serve them anymore. And this would be a great time to check out Transpose. I've been using it for a while. And one of the things that I really like about it is that there are templates that are built 
for a slew of, of, of different applications that are built not just by Transpose, the people at Transpose themselves, but also members of the community. I want to dive into one in particular because I believe that this is related to the idea of deep work. And let's talk about journaling because for me, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping tabs on where I'm spending my time. And journaling definitely can help me do this. Because as you know, I have my weekly theming ideas that I, and sorry, my daily theming ideas. So each day has its own theme. And when I journal, I want to be able to make sure that I live up to those expectations of the day. So with Transpose, you can get a solution that, that either you can create yourself or that you can get from other people. And I'm looking right now at the public library, uh, the public solutions that are available. And there's one that, that, that is, you know, basically just a five-minute journal, which is very popular. There's also, you know, the dream journal. There's a photo journal. There's quiet time journal. There's the bad habit journal. So if I was to look at the five-minute journal, I can actually enter all of the things that I need to enter. So if you want to go that specific, then when you, if you're journaling, you can say, you know, this solution in particular, submitted by Isaac Hamill, uh, you could enter your date. You can say what you're grateful for, what would make today great, daily affirmation. And then, of course, you go to the evening, and the evening would say three amazing things that happened today how I could have made today better, challenge of the day, and so on. Now, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that you could do. And he's even added one here, what special thing did I do for my wife? So you can take this public solution and make it your own. So instead of, let's saying that you're going to call it the five-minute journal, maybe you call it your deep work journal. And you say, you know, what you are... Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Focusing on, so you replace the I am grateful for with your daily theme, let's say. And then you would say what what activity today, would by completing it, would make today great. And then maybe a daily affirmation, a quote that's related to the deep work that you want to do. And then when you go to the evening, you could say, here are the three amazing things that happened today related to my theme, related to the deep work, how you could have made today better, and maybe even some, some ideas as to how to make sure that that happens going forward. Maybe don't be so vague about it. The challenge of the day that you've had. And then instead of what special thing I did for my wife today, maybe it's what ideas came from this deep work what did this deep work do to me uh, and if you've read cal's book you'll 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 be able to get a sense of you know what maybe did how long were you in flow or what strategy did you take to make this deep work happen there are lots of other things that you can use in terms of public solutions there's productivity solutions which of course many of you 
will be uh, looking for considering that that's what we talk about. If you're a GTD follower, maybe you want to do that. There's also, uh, you know, action items that you do end of the day questions, uh, simple notes, uh, smart goals, things like that. Meeting minutes for those of you who are into meetings, you may want to have those. And then there's just general business ones as well, if that's what you're looking for. So business ones would be, you know, along the lines of like a sales CRM, which might be important if you want to get better at tracking that in the new year. There's also fitness solutions that are available. So what I love about Transpose is that the solutions you can make yourself, and as you get more familiar, you're going to want to dive in and, and customize it for your own liking. But until then, there are plenty of public solutions out there for you to use. They're available on the web through public URLs. They're available through the app. You have a native app on the Mac now as well. There's so much to enjoy about Transpose. Really, Transpose is your solutions, your way. So I would encourage you strongly to check out Transpose, go to transpose.com. Tell them Mike Vardy sent you if they ask. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to thank them for sponsoring this week's episode of the Productivityist Podcast. Now let's get back to the discussion. Do you think that diving into work so deeply is terrifying for some people? I know that in some times, I mean, I, I, when I was working on the Now Year stuff, I felt, and I would dive right in. Like I would disconnect from the computer. Um, I don't schedule it as rigid i know you schedule your day right you still schedule your day every block of every time is scheduled right like it's blocked com- completely right you uh, i'm a time i'm a time blocker yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, we can talk about it a little bit but that we will we will I follow that schedule because yeah. i because i theme so i basically do it on a, on a much more i guess mine is a bit more flexible i guess but the point is is that when i spent time working on the now year stuff um i remember diving into it and there was a part of my brain as i was spending time writing and I think this is the part of your brain that, that really, it's that fight or flight part where it's like, why are you working on this? No one's really going to get it. You're going to have to work really hard to make it. Wouldn't it be easier just to go write a blog post right now? Like, I mean, honestly, you could have probably spent time blogging instead of writing the book, but you dove into the, the book work, right? Like, so wh- do you find that people are terrified and why? Why? Because, I mean, it does come up. Yeah, well, I, I think this is a, a very relevant point. And I'm glad I'm on your podcast because I can actually unleash my inner productivity geek in a way that <laughs> I, I can't always do when I'm talking to to most audiences. Because uh, when I look at the world of productivity, um, I like to think of it in in version numbers, right? So so we we had sort of productivity 1.0, which is where you have. Uh, uh, day planners and maybe culminating with uh, early GTD, original GTD. It's all about, hey, you want to make sure that you understand your obligations and that you you have them stored and organized and you're getting done the things that need to get done. That's 1.0. Then we get productivity 2.0, which happens in the 2000s. And this is where we get, for example, um, Merlin Mann's evolution towards you know focusing on work that matters. It's where we get uh, Tim Ferriss. It's where we get the, the new version of GTD where it's not just about cranking widgets. It's about cranking widgets so that you can make time to do the other things. Mm-hmm. And so productivity 2.0 is all about not just organizing what's in your life, but being selective about what's in your life. Um, automating some things, eliminating some things, uh, being more efficient in batching what's left so that you can clear out time for the things that matter to you. Now, I think productivity 3.0, which is the movement I like to think that I'm a part of, is saying okay, but then what do you do during those times? This assumption that if I could just clear out my schedule and be more automated and have more free time, I could really do the things that matter. It leaves out the reality that actually it's pretty hard and scary once you've cleared some time and you have this big block. 
what do you do during that time? And it turns out that the, the, I think the reason why a lot of people end up afraid of that when they get there and uh, retreating back to a much more satisfyingly feeling busy, let me do a lot of emails and jumping on calls and such, the reason people retreat back to that is because the skill of how do you actually take time and, and produce things that are important to you, produce things of value, cr- be creative, that skill itself has to be trained. And so a big part of deep work, for example, is you can't just expect that if you have time protected that you know what to do, that you'll be able to show up and really produce things of real value. It turns out that that ability has to be trained just like any other skill. I think people think uh, incorrectly sometimes that deep work is a habit like flossing. They know how to do it. It's just a matter of they need to do it more often. But it's not. It's more like a skill like playing the guitar. It's something that you actually have to practice and train before you can expect to do it well. So I think a lot of that terror that you're talking about, at least some fraction of that, comes from the reality that when people actually face the long, unbroken block with the aspiration to do something important, they're coming across the reality that they haven't trained their brain to really be able to focus intensely and fully leverage all of their skills and produce things they're proud of. So that's why sort of a big part of the deep work push is not just uh, the, the productivity 2.0 stuff. How do you clear your schedule, be on top of your stuff, don't be overburdened? It's also this productivity 3.0 stuff. How can you do cognitive calisthenics? How can you train your brain to the point where you're able to actually take advantage of those times to do things that matter? Now you're teaching a different way of operating. It's a completely different phase. And I think this is why it's becoming more rare is because uh, increasingly because of the various, not just tools in our life, but honestly just the trends in the workplace, the, the trends that organizations are pushing from a management perspective is that people's brains are being trained to the point where uh, they're not able to really do good deep work. So you give them free time and you can't really do much with it. It produces anxiety, your attention's all over the place. It's physically difficult. Uh, But the good news is you can gain it back, but it does take some training. I guess one of the things I can kind of liken it to is is an improv. Uh, you know, I used to do improv, and one of the things that I mean, obviously, everything comes fast and furious. There's no, there's not much thought to it, right? You know, I mean, you're, you're, you have to take whatever the other person gives you. You're not supposed to go out with any kind of preconceived notion of what you're going to do. And real magic can happen with that if you know the rules and if yeah. you practice it. And what can happen from there? And when I was doing ske- improv, is that if you got a really great bit that came out of that then you would turn it into a sketch which became rehearsed and you would workshop it and hone it and all of a sudden it would go on stage as a completely different piece i think that the biggest problem and and i want to address this is is that you and i i mean i I, probably me especially is i have a lot of freedom because i'm my own boss so i can i can say hey you know what i'm not going to check email first thing in the morning so i can do what you know you mentioned this off the top of carl young you know um and i never is it young or jung i can never figure out how to pronounce it (laughs) i had to look it up it depends if you uh, (laughs) it depends if you use the the pretentious german pronunciation (laughs) young is what you say if you're using the americanized uh pronunciation if you're using the germanized it's supposed to be jung Okay, well, we'll just... Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, he is able to say, I'm going to spend the first, you know, he, he had, a, he had a, a ritual that he basically lived up to that, I mean, he, he wouldn't have checked email in the four, <laughs> first thing in the morning if he had it because it wasn't his agenda. And I, I touch on that, and I know you do, you do as well. But, I mean, what about those people who don't... How do you tell people who will come to you and say, look, I'd love to dive deeper into my work. I'd love to do this. You know, I'd love to do some deep work with relation to this part of my work or this job or what my vocation is. But 
this 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 culture of immediate response and urgency is preventing me. How do they combat that? I mean, I know you're <laughs> okay. Your next answer is read the book, but beyond that, <laughs> how can they do that? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the this is one of the core questions I think of of our business culture right now. Uh, there's a couple things that are relevant. One is I you know I sort of take pains to point out that there's uh, several different philosophies you can use to integrate deep work into your professional schedule on a regular basis. And just understanding that you have options is so crucial because it allows you to actually work with the reality of your job. Uh, I found this counterproductive where you take an example of someone who is, uh, you know, uh, just a, a beautiful example of deep work, someone who lives in a cabin in the woods and does nothing but deep work. And if you try to shoehorn that into your life as, say, a management consultant or something, it's just going to be a recipe for failure. It's not going to work. It doesn't fit the reality. So it's it's important to recognize that there's uh, multiple different philosophies for how you can integrate this into into your working life. The right one is going to depend on what type of work you do. So on one extreme, for example, you have what I call the monastic philosophy. Now, this is the extreme. You basically eliminate shallow work from your life. You, you, you're not reachable on email. You're not on social media. You just want to do deep work. That's more or less accessible only to a very small number of people, such as professional novelists or artists. But there's other options. So then you have like Carl Jung who did uh, what I call the bimodal method. So he actually lived a very busy lifestyle most of the time. He lived in Zurich. He had a very uh, busy practice as a clinical psychologist. He was also really uh, keyed into the, the, the university lecture circuit there and the coffee house circuit. It was basically the early 20th century version of one of these Silicon Valley denizens of today. He was very connected. Um, but he also had this, this house in the woods by a lake. Uh, in the in the the countryside outside of Zurich, and so he was a bimodal philosophy. He was either completely on, or he would be at that house for a few days, where he would do nothing but deep work. Then you have the rhythmic philosophy, which is you know the same time every week, the same place. I do deep work, and that's part of my schedule. But outside of there, I'm doing all the other stuff, and that could be early in the morning, or more uh, in your night owl style later at night. But it's, you know I have the set time I do it. Then you have this journalistic philosophy where. Um, you look at your schedule where time seems like it's open and then you block it off like you would any other meeting. It turns out that people in the in the professional world respect this notion of, oh, I'm booked for these hours, so we'll have to set up our meeting another time. Or I didn't respond to your email because I was in a thing from 12 to 3. People understand that terminology. The key here is that there's a lot of different philosophies for how you integrate deep work into your life. And so starting from the reality of your current job, is key if you're going to succeed with making this a bigger part of what you do. Yeah, tackle the certainty before you dive into the uncertainty. You know, That's I mean, right. so I mean, an example would be Schedule Once. I use a tool called Schedule Once, and what that does for me is that if people want to book, you actually had to use it, I think, to book to book for us to book our time, right? I said, I here, here's schedules. my link. Yeah. So what it does is it creates this boundary. And what it, I think it does two things. Number one, it creates a boundary so that I don't need, I know, because I've gone in and protected the time that I know I only want to do certain things. So either by like Wednesdays, no one can book with me because that's when I'm in audio video production mode. So I don't want to talk to anybody that day. I want to be able to focus on that stuff. But what it also does is it removes the likelihood of me agreeing to something to please somebody. Yes. It removes, yes. it creates this, it, how, I mean, the, but the thing is, is that why don't people, 
why do you feel people don't take the time to, to, to set up those boundaries and to do them in a way that's thoughtful instead of just, it's kind of like taking on a, a tool like Evernote and going, you know what, I have this big pile of paper on my desk and if I get Evernote and put it all into Evernote, it will solve my problem. And then they look at Evernote and go, wow, now I have a big digital mess. Like why, why is there such a, 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 a difficulty for a lot of people? And I come across this with a lot of clients to, to, to take that slow down take that deep breath and even focus on just getting themselves set up for success down the line. Well, I think definitions here matter. Uh, when people think about work for the most part, uh, they think that work is work. Anything that, that returns some sort of benefit professionally is seen as work. Um, so they don't necessarily intuitively see their fragmented, busy schedule as an inadequate or bad schedule. They just see it as, yeah, I'm busy. I'm doing work all the time. I, I, you know, I'm working hard. I've got a lot going on. I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff all day. I'm doing stuff at night after the kids go to bed. This is just work. It's busy. The reason why I think definitions are important is when you step back and say, well, there's really two types of work. There's deep work, which is where you're focused without distraction. You're using your skills at your highest capacity and you're producing real value. And then there's shallow work, which is where you're doing more logistical type things. They don't produce a ton of new value. They don't use hard-won skills and they're more easily replicatable. I think the right formula to keep in mind is that shallow work keeps you from getting fired and deep work gets you promoted. Once you actually have this split and you see your work in these two different types, then suddenly you work. You look at the schedule that you previously thought was, well, yeah, I'm just busy, but I'm doing a lot of work. I'm, 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 you know, I'm getting after it. I'm crushing it. You know, look at all this stuff I'm doing. Once you have these definitions of deeper shallow, you say, well, wait a second. I'm only doing shallow work. I have almost no deep work in my schedule, which means that I'm leaving the majority of my potential to create things that matter and get ahead on the table. Then suddenly the alarm bells go off. And I think once people have these definitions, the alarm bells go off and they realize, well, I got to change this state of affairs. I mean, I'm never going to get ahead or I'm never going to sort of take control of my career or do things I'm proud of if I'm never doing deep work, if I'm never actually pushing my skills or trying to increase my skills. And I think once they have that mindset shift, then suddenly things like schedule once, which I think is just brilliant. And basically everyone in every position should be doing something like this. That is actually uh, – internally knowing what times you're available to meet with people and what times you're not. And that might mean blocking off time on a shared calendar so people can't book their time there. Or if you're in a situation like yours, giving people the times you're available and therefore being able to control when you're not. These type of things are simple and have a huge positive impact. And I think to answer your question, the reason why people aren't doing them is until you get these definitions right, you don't realize that there's, you're lacking. Right. You just think work is work and I'm busy. What else could I be doing? Well, and I think people, for those, by the way, who are listening, are like, schedule once, I can't afford that. There's one called Calendly, which is free, and you could use the same thing. So if you're worried about pricing, because that's another thing, it, it's odd because people, there's resistance that always comes up. And, and one thing I want to touch on before we shift gears a little bit is the term shallow work. I get it. I totally, and, and I understand what it means. But again, words have power. Some people will look at the term shallow work and they would derive it as, as meaningless, like shallow means I'm not doing anything. So it seems almost like, so how do you, I mean, obviously the book probably dives into this quite a bit more, but what do you say to those people that, that are like, well, I always want to do deep work. I always want to do meaningful work. Like, how do you tell them that, look, some of the shallow work stuff, like the, 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 the administrative stuff, the low hanging fruit, it's valuable. It's just, it's getting in the way of the deeper stuff. Like, how do you, how do you reconcile that with people? Yeah, it's a hard balance. I mean, shallow work is literally what keeps you from getting fired or, in the case of an entrepreneur, from, from going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. You have to do shallow work. Um, but the issue is when all you're doing is shallow work. And 
I think the reality is probably 99% of people in the knowledge work sector are doing about 99% of their time shallow work. Yep. Because for something to actually count as deep work, you need uh, at least an hour without distraction and getting at your full focus. Most people essentially never do that. With, with a few exceptions where they have a deadline and they're staying up late to get it done and it's so late that there's literally nothing coming in to distract them. Uh, so, so it is kind of a hard balance. Shallow doesn't mean – it's not a derogatory term. It's, it's really just talking about the depth of your focus. But, but it is important to understand that it doesn't really create a lot of new value and it's easily replicatable. Like most of the stuff you do with shallow work, you could take any reasonably bright 21-year-old college graduate and they could probably do that as well for you, which is a sign that it's not actually using skills that you've spent a lot of time to build and leveraging them to get back value. So it's a, it's a low ROI. Uh, so it, it's, you have this, this kind of this tension of uh, I have to do shallow work, but on the other hand, I'm wary about it. So I try to keep it minimal and I try to use productivity 2.0 tactics to uh, be as efficient as possible. Batching and automation and all the other things that, that, uh, that are they're coming up out of the productivity 2.0 uh, world, all of those are great for keeping shallow work under control in your schedule. Um, but this notion that you can get rid of it altogether is going to be problematic. Awesome, Cal. You know, as usual, it's been it's been a real treat to talk to you. Uh, I've been following your work for a long time. We've been we've hung out. We've we've chatted. We're gonna we're gonna go catch a hockey game when I'm in, in DC. So that's gonna be awesome. Uh, and uh, you know, I want people to find your work because uh, you do great stuff. And where can people get the new book? And where can people find you online? Clearly not on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. You can't tweet me <laughs> to find out about it. Uh, the book you can find, you know, anywhere uh, books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, etc. Um, and you can find more of my writing uh, at calnewport.com. Um, I myself am not that accessible. I'm not on social media. I don't have a general purpose public email address, mainly because I really like deep work. But I'll just I'll end with this pitch. <laughs> uh, this lifestyle I'm I'm, I'm proposing here this lifestyle where uh, you train yourself to do deep work and you prioritize deep work in your life uh, it's not for everyone there, there's some jobs where it doesn't make sense some people are very extroverted and they, they just it's much better for them just to be out there and connected to people so it's really not for everyone uh, but for the few to whom these ideas resonate I really encourage you to to think about it and look more into it uh, because a deep life, is a really meaningful, satisfying life. When you're doing a lot of craft, a lot of deep work, and, and doing a lot less shallow work than most people, um, the life, the work you do, it's, it's just more satisfying. It produces more value. Uh, it's, it's a pretty good way to live. So for those of who, who this resonates with, I know it's not everyone. I really encourage you to look deeper into it because it could make a big difference. I can attest to that. And actually, I'm going to take steps to do even more deep work because I, I know I got a book to write. <laughs> so I can't afford not to. Uh, thanks so much, Cal, for joining me on the podcast this week. All right. Thanks, Mike. There you have it. Another really great conversation with somebody who I've, I've really admired. He wrote the foreword to my first book, The Front Nine, How to Start the Year You Want, Anytime You Want. I'm fortunate to call him a friend. And I just had a great time talking with Cal. So go ahead and pick up Deep Work. It's available to read as of January 5th, but you can pre-order it now from Amazon or wherever fine uh, you know online books are sold. 
get the paperback version, like get the the hardcover rather, get the paper version of this book. There's a lot of great nuggets in there. Uh, it's a fantastic read. It's a deep read. I won't I won't kid you there. Cal's Cal's books. You really need to. I spend a lot of time, you know, reading them. It's I I just enjoy his work. And and I, if you've ever read his stuff at calnewport.com, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of people really really respect what what Cal has done and does with his work and I am among those people. Now, speaking of deep work, one of the things I'm focusing on in the months ahead, as you all know if you've been listening for a while, I start my new year in September, so I am literally 4 months into my year, which means I've got 8 more months to go and over the next 8 months, I'm going to be focusing on really deep work. So I'm limiting my coaching clients. I am going to be limiting a lot of things and focusing on developing the now year method to a higher level, working on a book project that I really want to get out there, working on some deep stuff so that I can deliver better and better and better. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on. In fact, I encourage you, if you want to see what I'm going to be working on personally outside of Productivityist as well as within Productivityist, head over to MikeVardy.com slash now. I'll be updating that page quite regularly. So if you want to see what I'm working on in particular, that's where you'll be able to go. Of course, Productivityist will still be updating as will this podcast, but as of next week, the podcast will be released on Mondays. I polled people over Twitter as well as my Patreon supporters, which of course, if you want to support the podcast, you can go over to patreon.com slash and support at any level in which you would like to. Uh, what I did was I said, when would you like to hear from me? And most people said early in the week and the majority of people said Monday. So on Monday, that's when we'll be releasing the podcast going forward. And next week's episode uh, is is going to kick that off. So we're starting this. This is consider this a bonus episode for you this week. And of course, if you are a Patreon supporter, you got the whole the whole episode, the whole interview. So. I, I encourage you to uh, shift gears and start listening to me on Mondays if, or early in the week whenever you decide to grab it off your podcatcher of choice. And uh, if you want to become a supporter, again, head over to that uh, Patreon page at patreon.com slash productivityist. Or, you know, and, and I'll throw another call to action out there. If, you, if you're not able to support monetarily, then head over to iTunes or your podcast uh aggregator of choice and give us a rating and review it really helps more people find us and and can you know i'd love to have more people listen to discussions like i have with cal newport i'd like to thank transpose for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast head over transpose.com and you can check out all that they have to offer there. Now's the time of year where if you want to get a little bit more organized, Transpose can help you do that. It's a, a great app. Uh, I would I would highly recommend that you give it a look as well. So maybe maybe get a reading list and, and add deep work to that reading list, a book list, a library list. I'm, I'm big on reading in 2016, and I think that you should too. And, and I'm especially big on deep work and on continuing to deliver this podcast to you each and every week. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, your host and founder of Productivityist, as well as productivity strategist, father, husband, and writer, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. Start going.